Welcome to the podcast of Revival Life Church, a spirit-filled multicultural church in Boca Raton, Florida. If you would like more information about Revival Life Church or Pastor Carl Thomas, you can find us on the web at revivallife.church. Awesome, it's like a train is coming at me right now. Hey, who enjoyed last week? I enjoyed the message. I had a good time with it. Amen. I hope you had a good discussion in your life groups about it. Uh, I want to re- reiterate, I'm going to use all the syllables in that word, I'm going to reiterate uh, our Bible reading plan. We're going to read through the Gospels together as, um, uh, as we're teaching our way through the Gospels. Uh, we are going to, I'm going to teach on one, and then we're going to read it. See, see how that works? And next week, I'll teach on another one. Watch this. And then we'll read it. See that? And uh, we're going to do that for four weeks, and we're going to be able to comment. Uh, and we're really hoping that you'll uh, kind of take a screenshot of something that stood out to you, circle it, share it on social media, tag the church, if you would. And we're all going to kind of go through, we're going to be in a Bible study together. Does that sound good? Yeah. Sounds good. I'm excited about it. Um, the Gospels in 30. Um, if, you need a, if you need a link to it, uh, look on any of our church stuff. It's there. <clears throat> so, uh, I wanted to start with um, the book of Mark today, since it was written first. However, our reading, my wife is going to correct me and tell me Matthew. That's, I love you, honey. However, um, uh, Matthew is the beginning of our reading plan, so I'm going to start there so we're kind of in sync. Sound good? Yeah. 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 So I, I want to remind you today that each of you represents about 10 people. Yeah. And so I'm going to need you to be more enthusiastic for Jesus that lives in me than you ever have before, okay? I need you to just kind of be there. You online, I need you to slap like in the video, share it, be obnoxious, be that Christian guy or woman, if you would. Take a picture of us and share it. Tag us that you're watching online, all right? So we're going to talk about the Gospel of Matthew today. And we talked about um, last week how there are four Gospels, how if you weren't here, um, we talked about how there's four Gospels how they were written by different people to different audiences uh, with different goals in mind. Yet these four different portraits paint one beautiful picture of Jesus and uh, one complete picture of Jesus. And we can learn from this that no one person has all the revelation. Amen? You, you got to figure if Peter didn't have it all, if Paul didn't have it all, if Matthew didn't have it all, if John didn't have it all, we certainly do not have the full picture. Amen. It, it kind of brings a little humility to our lives um, and it makes us uh, just a little uh, not unsure or unstable, but a little more humble in saying, maybe God is doing something I don't see, or maybe God is showing them something he's not showing me so I can actually listen to people that may have a different perspective than me. Amen. Uh, and so I hope that's part of what you get out of today's uh, message. And in this this uh, series as a whole, it's important also to remember that these four Gospels uh, in the whole Bible was not written to us, right? It was not a letter from God to Carl. It was something written by a man, Matthew, to a group of people, the Jews in his day. This was not um, God writing some super prophetic message that would not be understood until I come along, right? God does use this written word to speak to me, though, but that is not its primary goal. 
His primary goal is to lay out some theology, to let us learn who Jesus was and what his goals were, why Jesus came to earth, to paint a picture of God's picture of salvation. He had a very specific goal in mind. And as we learn from that, we learn about God and Holy Spirit who inspired the author is there to inspire our interpretation. So there is literally the guy who encoded the the secret code, he encrypted the word, he decrypts it within us as we read it. However, when we decrypt this encrypted message, it's going to say the same thing to everybody. There's no super secret message that only I can find in it. There may be a message that God is speaking to me that you may not hear, but the word to us is discerned by us. Does that make sense? So Matthew, uh, as we talked about, was a, um, he was a tax collector. He was one of the 12 apostles. He was called by Jesus to follow him. And uh, like Luke had um, the ox as his symbol, as we talked about, and uh, Mark had a lion, and John, his symbol is the eagle in uh, church history. Uh, Matthew was a man. Uh, or a person, you might sometimes see uh, the symbol, it looks almost like a small woman or an angel, but it really, his uh, symbol was a, a human face. And um, in this Matthew human face, it symbolizes in Matthew's gospel, uh, the human represents uh, revelation uh, and intelligence. And, and so there's this mixture of the human intellect and God speaking coming together in Matthew. Does that make sense? And so, Uh, Matthew was written, as we talked about, there was this oral tradition. People told the story of Jesus because they lived with him, they walked with him, he discipled them. Uh, And so for years, they just told the story of who Jesus was, what he said, his teachings. And as they passed it down, someone said, we better start writing some of this down. And so Mark wrote his gospel, and then Matthew used Mark's and the oral tradition, and he wrote his gospel, and he specifically was writing at a very important time in church history. So when, the, when Jesus first came, there was just Jewish people, right? I mean, there were those in God's covenant, the Jews, and then there were the Gentiles. That's pretty much what you got. There were the Jews, and there were the Gentiles. And the Jews worshiped God in the synagogues where they learned, and they worshiped in the temple. And then we saw as people were putting their faith in Christ, uh, that they would be in the temple giving uh, a defense of Jesus. They would teach about Jesus. They would teach about the, um, the prophecies about the Messiah coming. You, you follow me, right? And, uh, and so they didn't have their own synagogues or anything. They were just Jews. And some Jews, we found out that many, there were priests and Levites who were coming to faith in Christ. And it was causing some drama. At the end of our scriptures, we find out that there's some drama happening. At the end of Jesus' life, there's drama happening. There's conflict between the Jews and those who put their faith in Christ. And at some point, the Jews decided, you guys aren't Jewish anymore. That to put faith in Jesus makes you no longer Jewish. And there was a split. There was a split between the Christians and the Jews. And Matthew comes writing his gospel to the church that had just been split because of those who rejected the Messiah. Right? And so Matthew is writing to a specific group of people after a very specific series of events. And we look at what Matthew was talking about as we, as we look at the Bible and we look at um, Matthew chapter 1. Matthew, when, when you read Matthew and you start studying his gospel, 
it's, it's, almost, it's almost impossible to believe that a human came up with this on their own. The, the way it was written, the rhythms that you read in it, the repetitions of patterns that you don't see until you get intimately familiar with it. When, when we look at the book of Matthew, it starts off in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. But the word there for record, in, if you look it up in Greek, it's Genesis. So at the very beginning of his gospel, Matthew is writing to Jews about, or Jewish believers, about Genesis. So he's referring back to the genesis of the world, but showing them there was a new beginning. As we look in verse 18 here, where it says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as followed. In that word birth there, again, they translated it birth, but the word in Greek is genesis. And so Matthew is doing this repetition. Yes, there is a genesis story, but there's also a new genesis story. And he's saying, look, we're not just starting over. It's not like we're just going to go back and give it another shot. This is, in fact, a new beginning. Jesus came to get things right. And he's showing us that when you come into Christ, you actually have a new beginning. You don't have to redo. There's not a start over. There's an absolute new beginning when we come into Jesus Christ. It's not like you failed a test and you're starting it over. No, 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 no. There's a whole new story with a new beginning that's happening right now. And in this story, in this Genesis, a new beginning, as we read Matthew, there's a question that Matthew seeks to answer, and it's this. How does a good Jewish boy like Jesus, and now the name Jesus that he uses is, you know, in, in, when you look at um, Greek and Hebrew, a lot of names in Greek sound different than the Hebrew. You, you know, like if any of you are uh, come from Latin America, uh, Spanish-speaking Latin America, uh, you might have a friend uh, who is called Pedro, and you come here and is called Peter, right? Or Paul and Diego, right? That's, you just kind of get that, right? It's the same thing. You look in a Spanish Bible, the names are different because they're different in English than they are in Spanish. Well, it's no different here in our text. Jesus is just the Greek form of Joshua. Or people want to get super Hebrew about it and say Yeshua. But that's, you know, Yeshua is not how you pronounce Joshua in Hebrew. You say it with an accent, which I don't try to do. And so you just say, they say Yeshua, but it's really Joshua. Joshua is always known as a deliverer, as a person of salvation. That's what the name means. For some reason, they decided to keep the Greek version and say Jesus. All right? Get that? So this is not a specific name uh, that was invented for Jesus. It's actually Joshua, and we see Joshua throughout the Bible. Are you with me? Excellent. How does a good Jewish boy like Jesus set out to be the teacher of Israel and become the founder of the Gentile church? This is the question. If you're the Jewish Messiah, how come a bunch of non, you, you start leading the church of non-Jews? And the accusation was that Jesus was not actually the Jewish Messiah, but in fact, the Gentiles invented a whole new God. And that's why they tried to split or kick them out of the Jewish church. And Matthew's goal is to say, yeah, I know what you're saying now, that the people who follow Jesus are no longer Jewish, but it's not true. Yeah, he's a Jew. This is the Jewish Messiah. That this is the Jewish God's plan all along. And you kicked us out of the synagogue. We didn't leave. We were here because God promised you that we would come. 
And, and so when we understand that Matthew is addressing these believers that have been kicked out of the synagogue, have been kicked out of Jewish life, there's three overarching patterns <clears throat> or things that we need to understand in this gospel. If you're taking notes, i got lots of stuff to share. Hopefully I'll get through a bunch of it. Who knows? If not, you have to catch second service. Number one, Matthew wants to tell them, Jesus is the teacher of Israel. Jesus fulfilled the prophecies, and he's a recapitulating of the heroes. And I'll talk about that in a minute. He's a retelling of the heroes of Israel. And um, in the people hearing his message were immersed in Judaism. They understood all the Jewish references, the teachings, the history of Israel. So we see that Matthew's trying to let them know Jesus is the teacher of Israel. The second thing we see as we read this, we have to remember that Matthew is angry with the religious leaders. He's angry with how they have treated the truth. He's angry uh, with how they treated the Messiah. He's angry with how they've treated the believers. In his attitude toward the Jewish leaders and Jerusalem, watch this, how he wrote his gospel. It was not written to evangelize the Jews. He was not trying to win them over. Instead, he's letting those who came to faith in Christ know, hey, Jesus is the teacher of Israel. You got it right. You are right and they are wrong. And there is a place for that. There's a place for reaching out for the unbelievers. But there's also a place for the church to say, we are the church and those who don't like it don't matter as much as the truth. Can you say amen? We are not here to appease the world with a, with, a, with a word that tickles their ear, we are here to proclaim the truth about who Jesus is, right? Amen? <laughs> we like being attractional, but at the same point, we have to be attracting them to God, not into just a feel good, make you happy, have better finances message. And, and the third thing uh, that he's trying to communicate is he's trying to communicate the pain that these religious people caused to those who followed the truth. They those who reject God and, 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 and prophesy lies in his name, they hurt people. They hurt people who love God. They hurt people who love the truth. And, and, and there's so much pain depicted in the conflict with the religious leaders. And Matthew's trying to map out that pain that's been caused. And so all throughout Matthew, and I don't have time to get in this, there's these triads. Just like there's these three points here, there's, he, he, there's just multiples of threes. He often will tell a story tell the opposite of that story, and then tell the story again in a different setting. He's over and over and over, there's this, these triads, these threes. And he talks about the Jewish origins, the divine identity, the teacher of Israel as Jesus. And in Matthew, we see almost no worship uh, in the other Gospels, but he's worshipped all throughout Matthew. He's worshipped as a baby. He's worshipped by the lepers. He's worshipped by women, he's worshipped by the disciples. Over and over again, we see in Matthew this point of worship being toward Jesus. Now, to a Jew, worshipping a man would be a grave sin. And Matthew's teaching them, look, worshipping this guy is right. And it's fitting, and it, and it fits in with the Scriptures. Amen. And so, as we read the Gospel of Matthew, oh, I'm going to try to rush through this. As we read the Gospel of Matthew, we have to keep in mind, like I said last week, the story. We have to see the overall story that God is painting through the scriptures. And in Matthew specifically, he paints Jesus as another Moses. 
He paints Jesus as another Moses. Now, Moses is the man in Judaism, right? He delivers them from slavery, writes the first five books of the Bible, and they paint Jesus as another Moses. Not only, not only is Jesus the son of David, we read, uh, but Jesus is the son of Abraham. He's another Moses. He's the liberator who's come to teach of God's salvation. And what's really interesting in what we call the prophetic voice so often, um, Jesus doesn't rage against sin, uh, by and large, in the gospel. He doesn't rage against um, sin really at all. What he rages against are two things, self-righteousness and oppressive systems of the world. Self-righteousness and oppressive systems. He's a liberator. Now, he of course came to liberate people from sin. That's that's super important. But he's not angry with the sinner. He does tell them to stop sinning. He's angry with people who use their power to hold other people down. He's specifically angry at religious people who think and teach that they're above other people. He really dislikes that. And, he, and again, I use the word, he rages at it. And so, <clears throat> right at the beginning... Right at the beginning of the gospel, as we read it this week, you're going to see in the first couple chapters here on Monday, you're going to see, uh, again, this retelling of the story of Moses. You'll see this reference to Moses and what Moses did, and, and the point in that is to show you how Jesus recapitulated this story. He retells it. And, and, and so, like Moses, Jesus, he was an infant that was saved from an evil king who tries to kill the firstborn. He flees for his life to a foreign land. He lives up. He lives and is raised as a foreigner. Uh, and then he returns after the death of the king. This happened with both Moses and Jesus. Moses comes back, and just like Jesus, and he was taken on a mountain to see the promised land. Now, Jesus, of course, was taken on the mountain and not just shown the promised land, but he was shown all the kingdoms of the world. Jesus, uh, he, he lived in Capernaum. And then Matthew uh, calls him, he says that he lived in Capernaum, this is interesting, in Galilee of the Gentiles, so that darkness, so that those in darkness might see. Now, you might think he's just talking about how people saw with Moses in the burning bush, and so the chosen of God see God's plan. But he says specifically here that those in darkness might see when he lived among the Gentiles kind of a foreshadowing of the Gentiles being brought into this covenant, this burning bush for the Gentiles as well as the Jews. Of course, we see that just like Moses, Jesus comes to the water of baptism. He goes through the waters to deliver the law on a mountain. And like I said, it was built on Mark, but there's just so much more. Unlike in Mark, we read in, in Matthew, Jesus doesn't really show human emotion at all. He doesn't get angry he doesn't get upset. He's not hurt. Uh, he lacks human emotion, but he shows them that Jesus is not just a deliverer like Moses or a leader like David. He's painting this God-man picture. He was saying he is the teacher, the son of Abraham, the Davidic Messiah King, the Lord, the Son of God himself among the people. He's showing that Jesus is a man, but he's so much bigger than a man. Whereas David and Moses were just men, Jesus is greater. 
And as we read the book of Matthew, as we go through it this week, there's five sermons, or they call them five discourses, in the Gospel of Matthew. You probably knew that. Um, and each of them end with, um, and it happened. In the Old Testament, we see the same thing. When there's these teachings, um, there'll be, and, 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 so it, and so it happened, or so it came to pass. Jesus ends his teachings with, and so it happened. And just like there are five books written by Moses, there are five teachings given by Jesus. We're going to focus on one today. At the end, I think, of Tuesday, beginning of Wednesday, or end of Monday, beginning of Tuesday. I want you to write this down or just jot it down. Make a mental note. Um, the Sermon on the Mount is in Matthew 5 through 7. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. And in the Sermon on the Mount, we see Jesus. It's his first discourse or his first sermon that's recorded in Matthew. It really paints the picture of what he came to accomplish, who he is, and what he came to do. Jesus doesn't have any messages that he just thinks are going to preach well to the crowd, right? He doesn't have like a greatest hits that he knows is going to work and he pulls it out when he needs something to say. Like, you know, it's kind of the preacher thing to do. You have some, you have a bunch of messages and you have a couple that are really good. And when you go somewhere, you pull out the good ones because you know they get a good crowd response. You practice them. Jesus continues giving messages that they don't understand, right? And he doesn't particularly care about that. Because the truth is more important than delivery to him, right? And so we see in the Sermon on the Mount, again, Jesus on the Mount, bringing the truth like Moses came on the mountain to get the law. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus begins teaching about this upside-down kingdom. How this kingdom that we're being called to is completely opposite of the kingdom of the world. Now, when they talk about the kingdom, we, we think of um, kind of medieval where there is this walled kingdom and there's clearly those who are out and those who are in and the king has an army, right? And uh, they're flying the flag of the king and there's this military kingdom. But when you study the word kingdom in Greek, it really means more uh, the place of authority, though where his authority is recognized where his influence, where his um, leadership is established. It's less of, a, of an earthly kingdom that's held by force and more of where this king has authority, where this king is received as the leader. And so he talks about what it looks like where Jesus is recognized as the authority. A little different than taking over an area for his kingdom as it is teaching people about Jesus so they recognize his authority. Do you see the difference? You see, they're, they're, it's subtle, but it's huge. You can't force anybody into the kingdom of God. It, you just can't make it happen. You can't, you can't, yeah, no, that's good. One class, we all clap, come on. You, you can't force it. People have to be taught about Jesus in one to love him, right? We have to teach them to love them. So we're going to pick up here. We're going to read a little scripture that Hoffa read a little earlier for us. We're going to kind of run through it as an example of what's happening in this upside-down kingdom. It says, He opened His mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the gentle. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who have been persecuted. 
Blessed are you when people insult you. This is super offensive to a culture like ours. It's super offensive because what we've been taught in America is if you're successful enough, you're going to live a better life and you're going to be treated well. That if, if you grind enough, you're not going to have to worry about any of these things. And it's not so much that the people of the world reject these teachings. It's more like we refuse to believe this is where we actually are. We actually are poor in spirit. We actually are. We actually are people who need to be pure in heart. We actually do need to be merciful. We actually do need to be gentle. And we like to think that this isn't literally teachable for today. It's kind of a figurative thing that Jesus taught kind of hyperbole. But Jesus actually said, this is who we need to be. And, and not, and I need you to hear this, not that um, we need to somehow live on a commune and reject what's happening in the world and somehow be the victim of everything that's going on and be enslaved by a foreign religion. Jesus is literally saying, man, when you recognize, when you recognize there is no power in violence, there is no power in force, there's no power in lording over somebody, there's no peace in it at all. You don't gain anything when you step over people to get success. When you recognize that I have sent you to serve, when you recognize you don't have to defend yourself any longer, when you recognize that it doesn't matter what other people think of you and treat you, when you come to the point of surrendering to living how you look, when you surrender to living to get even with people, when you give up trying to be somebody, then you're blessed. Then I will be your stamp of approval. Then I will have, then that is where I have authority. That's where my kingdom is. When you recognize you don't have to be a king, I am the king. Then you're really blessed. Now you're not in conflict with anybody. Now nobody has authority over you. Now no person gets to tell you what to do. If you don't, it's like you're going to be living in seventh grade forever where you're terrified that people are going to think you're wearing the wrong outfit. You're terrified that other people are going to be more powerful than you. Other people are going to label you with something that you don't want to be, that they're going to be the in crowd and you're going to be the out crowd. When you live in that paradigm, you're guaranteed not to live a life of peace because you're always going to be terrified somebody's going to get over on you. But when you surrender to Jesus, when you surrender, when you give up your life to Jesus, then you're blessed because you don't have to fight for yourself. You don't have to strike back. You don't have to hit people to keep them from hitting you. And he uses radical examples because his kingdom is literally upside down. Completely different than this world system. And if you don't take the words of Jesus literally in these teachings, you're going to miss his point. You're going to miss the radical kingdom he's come to usher in. Jesus did not come to just give us a little bit better life. 
He didn't come just so that we would have a better moral philosophy than the world. He didn't come just so that we can be a little bit more righteous or we can end a little bit of works. He didn't come just to end the temple system. He came for a radical shift in morality. He came for a radical belief of truth. He came for a radical surrender to the living God. This is what he came for. And anything short of that is not really Christianity. And if we teach something short of that, we have not enabled people to access the power of God. Because the power of God only happens when we surrender our power. Where we surrender our power, Jesus comes in with his power and ushers us his kingdom. If we refuse to surrender our power, then all we get is our kingdom and all the troubles that come with it. Uh, Jesus is inviting us, in Matthew, in his word, is inviting us to a radical new way of life. A radical new way of life. And the accusation of that today is, oh, that's liberal or that's, uh, that's soft or that's pacifist. And I, I, you could call it whatever you want. I think it's radical. I think it's completely against this world. I think it upends the people who want to control your values and control what you think is important. I think it's telling the world system, you don't tell me what to do. I follow Jesus who does something completely different than what you do. It's a radical departure from this society. And it's real power. Rushing through this. Matthew 27. He tells them. Now. The centurion. And those who were with him. Keeping guard over Jesus. Now here's the funny part. Jesus of course. uh, You know was sacrificed on the cross. And immediately. This is super important. Now the centurion. Which is a, a guard of the Romans. And those who were with him keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake, remember when he died, stuff rattled, the world shook, right? And when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, became very frightened and said, truly, this was the Son of God. I'm kind of fast-forwarding here because I want you to hear this. This is a foreshadowing to the salvation of the Jews. We see that the Gentiles, excuse me, the Gentiles, we see these non-Jews already start to recognize This is the true Son of God. They recognize there is a God. They recognize that He sent Jesus to be His true Son. Again, this was a foreshadowing of the Gentiles being brought in, as we'll see in the book of Acts. And so the Jews started this rumor. They started a plan to say, hey, uh, we're going to tell the people that the body wasn't actually stolen. I mean, the body, He didn't actually come to life. The body was stolen. And so Matthew kind of is laying out in this gospel the arguments against the lies about Jesus. He's telling them what's happening in that time. Listen, they had a lie saying that, uh, you know, Jesus didn't come back to life. They stole the body. We we know that not to be true because there were guards there. And finally, Matthew wants to tell people (laughs) that Jesus came to lead the true Israel. Jesus came to lead the true Israel. I'm not talking about whether the Jews are still God's people or not. That's that's. But true Israel, the true followers of God, are those who follow the living God. Jesus, Jesus, we see at the end of his life, is leading true Israel on the mountain again. He died. He was resurrected. He returns in bodily form. And right before he's assumed into heaven, we see him, just like at the beginning, back on a mountain. And he's on the mountain and he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. And we see that all throughout the book of Matthew. 
Matthew stresses the theme of righteousness. Righteousness to God. Righteousness to our neighbor in every area of life. Stand with me as I read this final portion of Scripture and we pray. And as he talks about this righteousness to God, righteousness to our neighbors, Matthew chapter 28, verse 16, the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw Jesus, they worshipped him. Again, we see more worship of Jesus. But some were doubtful, and Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Now, he's been a little more matter-of-fact about who he is, right? It's not veiled any longer. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. Can you say amen? I am with you even to the end of the age. And Matthew's making it super clear that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and has not disappeared, but he's present. And his kingdom is greater than anything David did. He's greater than anything that Moses did. Greater than anything that Solomon did. Greater than any temple that anybody had built before. He is the risen Lord. He is alive. And he's worthy to be worshipped. Can you say amen? And so I want to pray today. I want to pray that we keep the main thing the main thing. That we make Jesus in the proclamation of his righteousness on the earth the center of our theology. Amen? Pray with me if you would. Father, in the name of Jesus, I know there's people here today and online, Father, that, that, that just because this world gets crazy, just because this world gets a little mixed up, we put other things before you. We put other leaders before you. We talk more about maybe political leaders than we do the Lord Jesus Christ. We allow people around us to paint other people as Savior, to the economy to be our Savior, to money to be our Savior, for job security to be our Savior, a politician or a political party to be our Savior. And we say today for the United States, we repent, Lord. Forgive us our sins, Jesus, of, of exalting other things above you. We pray that you would have mercy on us. Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on us. We're sinners. We pray we pray for each of us right now. We make a decision to live and spread the area of your influence. We want to be counted blessed by you, Lord. We want to be counted blessed in your kingdom. And we pray that you would forgive us our sins. Restore the God of our salvation in our soul. And like those disciples, that we would experience a new beginning in you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. amen, amen. Thank you. Hey, come on. That was awesome. Can we give it up for the word one more time? Hey, thank you guys so much for joining us today. It's so good to see you. I want to also just say thank you for joining us online. I am being so encouraged by this message series, and I hope you guys will continue to join us. Listen, if you need prayer for anything, or if you'd like to join one of our ministry team areas here at Revival Life Church, you can text GORLC to uh, 97000. That's GORLC to 97000, and you can send in your prayer request that way. We want to pray for you. Yes. We're trying to be smart, so we don't want to have altar calls right now. We don't want to lay hands and breathe in people's faces, but we still want to pray. We still want to know what's going on in your life. Yeah. Amen. Can we give it up? 
for the word one more time this morning. Thank you guys so, so much for joining us. God bless you, and we'll see you guys next week. Have an awesome day. And don't forget to fellowship outside. <laughs> God bless you guys.